Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Got one, Jesus. If you never know what the answer is to something at church, just say Jesus. You're good to go. These are solid. And what's happening is what I thought happened. I want to make sure that what I thought was going to happen happened when we talk about defining what is the good and beautiful community, or another way to say that is how do you define church? And usually how we'll define the body of Christ is we'll, we go with what's familiar. So we, we throw ourselves in there. If we made, made a decision to follow Christ, then we lump ourselves in as part of the body of Christ, part of the good and beautiful community. And then if we have a family and they happen to be believers and we bring them in, they're part of the body of Christ. And then if we have friends, they don't even have to be at our church, but friends that we know are following Christ and we're like, oh, you too? Okay, me, all right, good. Then we kind of think like we're part of the body of Christ. Then if we're at a church, then we're like, okay, that's the good and beautiful community. Then we look outside, if we see people that kind of look like they'd fit in with us and we know they follow Christ, yeah, they're part of the body of Christ too. But then it starts to get a little different after that. Well, that church, I don't know, they might think this, and they may think that, and they think this, and they wear these things, and they say these things, and I don't know about that, and we start to break it off, and we start to divide it up. And then we'll look at um, different, so these are people that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only Son of God. They believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and that he has the words of eternal life, and that through his life and through his death, we are saved, and that if we follow his teachings and we choose to follow him, then we live that full and abundant life that he intended for us, that good and beautiful life. And there are so many churches out there that match up with all of that, and yet we don't, we wouldn't consider them to be part of the good and beautiful community. I mean, we wouldn't say they weren't, but we don't necessarily consider them in. We don't jump to that conclusion. And then we look at people in different countries. We're like, all right, Canada, they kind of count because they're close. They kind of look like us. Can't tell the difference between a Canadian and an American. Sure, we're part of the same good and beautiful community. Mexico, they're connected. Yes, we speak different languages. Of course, they're part of the body of Christ too. But the reality is we don't really think of it, do we? We don't really think about how far out it goes. We don't think about our brothers and sisters in South Africa or Iceland. Does anyone ever think of Iceland? I never think of Iceland. Greenland, I've never met a person from Greenland, but there are believers in Greenland, and they're part of the good and beautiful community. We're part of the same church, but you just don't think of that. Egypt, Syria, Cambodia, Colombia, and I want to tell you about a friend of ours that I heard about just this week. It's a loose friend of ours. Um, We're going to have to call him Brother Andrew because we can't use his name because of the persecution that he deals with. Because the reality is, this is what I'm hoping to get across this morning to us. This is why we kind of derailed everything we were doing and, and substituted this in. Because the good and beautiful community is global. There are believers all over this world, and they're part of our church. We're part of their church. We're, it's our church. And they are dealing with un believable, unfathomable persecution and suffering because they have made a decision to follow Jesus. Here in the United States, we don't deal with that. We might have some social pressure, 
we really haven't faced the kind of persecution and suffering that my friend, Brother Andrew, faced. So he was supposed to teach at a church. Uh, he's Pakistanian. He was supposed to teach in the church. And uh, his daughter's sick. So he asked if um, somebody else could speak for him. I think he was the visiting uh, teacher at the church. So he uh, had to go to the hospital and be with his daughter. And he turned on the news and two men came up on the front steps of Old Saints Church in Peshawar and blew themselves up at the church. Now, they sent me a video of, not it actually happening, but all of the aftermath and then trying to care for people, and, and it was too heavy. Like, I looked at it, and I had to, like, look away a few times. I'm like, how can I possibly show this? But if I don't show it, are you going to understand? And so I was, like, torn with it. So I called my other friend who works really closely with Brother Andrew. I said, should I, did you show it? And he goes, I don't know, man. He goes, I wouldn't show it. It's a little too intense. And I went, yeah, it is. But at the same time, I want you to know. I want you to know what is happening here. And so imagine if we walked out, all the kids, all of us together, all walking out, and then someone just blows themselves up. And immediately, um, 70 were killed instantly. There's been hundreds that have been injured. I mean, it's, it's an old church. It was a huge gathering. Um, I think at this point, uh, actually there aren't extremely accurate numbers, but over 100 people have died total. Some have died afterwards because of injuries. This is our church. These are our brothers and sisters who are facing this persecution. And this isn't the only place this happens. I mean, the reality is there are 11 Christians, 11 people, who are dying because they believe in Jesus every hour around the world. That's heavy-duty stuff. Um, I want to share with you some, some things that are going around the world because I think most of the problem here is that we just don't know. We just don't know this is happening. Um, for example, in Iraq, uh, they had 1.4 million Christians in 2003. Now, but somewhere between 500 thousand and seven thousand so it's been cut in half either killed or they've had to escape the country because of persecution imagine that because you follow christ you'd have to leave the united states and move to canada or mexico or somewhere else because you knew that your family was in danger or you knew you couldn't get hired because no one would hire a christian egypt you think of egypt oh they got such awesome pyramids i can't wait to go there you don't realize that it's illegal to be a Christian there. In fact, the Coptic Christians, um, it is one of the worst situations of persecution in the world in Egypt. Kenya. It was all in the news. You heard about it, right? The, the guys that came in and they took over the, uh, uh, the mall. And while they were in the mall, something you might not have heard because these were Muslim extremists, they came in and they started figuring out who are the Muslims and who are the Christians so they could bring the Muslims out. And the way they would do is they'd ask questions on the Muslim faith. And if you couldn't answer, answer correctly, they would kill you. And if you could answer correctly, they would, they would usher you out. Now, as I go through these two, you need to understand, Muslims are also being persecuted. This is not, we're not giving you a message of, kill the Muslims. No, because there's a bunch of psychos that are doing this. There are people here in the United States that are Muslim, they're dealing with the same type of stuff. Now, they're not being killed because we have our laws. That, you know, it's not part of our law. But at the same time, they're having a hard time finding jobs. They're being hassled. Kids are being bullied. 
That's not okay either. But I want us to talk about especially the global church and what's happening to our brothers and sisters. If something happened to John, we would be Facebooking, emailing everybody, but the reality is we don't know this is happening. And I want us to discuss this, and I want us to look at this, and I want us to talk about how we're supposed to move forward. Um, Central Asia, Syria. Syria is one of the worst. In fact, there was a... In Syria, this this lady, these extremists came in, and um, she called her fiancé's cell phone. And uh, this, this happens all the time in Syria, unfortunately, with bombings and things. And so there was this... Um, resident of Maulula and the Free Syrian Army came in and they gave everyone there the opportunity to convert to Islam. She called her fiancé. They answered the phone and they said he wouldn't convert so we just slit his throat. Can you imagine that? Because of your faith? But I want us to deal with this morning for a couple reasons. One, because it is a global church. But I also want us to know that this this was inevitable. Jesus told us ahead of time, this was going to happen. And so I warned Beth ahead of time. I go, Beth, I got a gazillion slides because I have so many scriptures I want to show you. We might get to all of them and we might not. Um, as we move forward, when I go through this message, you're going to f- feel the sense of what the heck could I possibly do? You can do something. And I had all these scriptures to, that were going to say, we're supposed to do this but you don't really need me to tell you to do that, do you? You don't need me to tell you, oh, we should do something. It's kind of like written in there. But I wanted to show a couple scriptures that I thought were really important that say it in a way that we, we should hear. So Hebrews 13.3 says this. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And the next scripture, probably one of my favorites, especially because I think it, it shares what we should do, not only for Christians, but for Muslims and anyone else that's being mistreated. Proverbs 31.8 says this, speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. So that you know, our kids, they're not hearing the graphic stuff that I'm sharing with you, but they're going through the same stuff in their rooms right now because we want them to know that there are people that are being persecuted and suffering for their faith around the world and they can do something about it. So in the kids ministry right now, um, even all the way down to preschool and toddlers, they are writing letters um, to believers that are in prison because of their faith. And so when you get those that way, it's not a surprise. Like, what is this? And so, well, actually, you're not going to get them. We're going to collect them and we're going to send them over to a group that we're working with. But I want to show you some more verses here, but these scriptures are Jesus. Jesus telling us, look, you're going to be persecuted for your faith. And he's talking to the church. And so when we have friends in in Syria or in Egypt or in Colombia um, that are being persecuted for their faith, we're being persecuted. That's part of our community. So this is what Jesus says here in Matthew. And he says, and you will be. Not you might be, it could happen, you will be. When he says you, means you all. So some of us, let's be, let's be honest here, we're Americans. We deal with social pressure. We might deal with a little bit of hassle. Like, oh, you go to church? Oh, you believe in God? That's about as bad as it gets, right? I think we can handle that. 
So when they're saying, and you, it's talking about y'all, meaning the church as the followers of Christ, the body of Christ. You all will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And Beth, we'll just keep going through these slides. Jesus says later on in Matthew, he says, a disciple or a student or a follower is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is a name for a demon, how much more will they call those of his household? If Jesus had to deal with his persecution, if Jesus had to suffer, then he's saying, look, all of those who follow me, you're going to deal with the same stuff because if they're not going to believe me, why would they believe you? Next scripture, please. And this will be the last one that we read from Jesus. But in John 15, he says this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Now, when you think of that, if you belong to the world, that's, that word could also be translated alien. Imagine if you were an alien, okay, and you've got six eyes and you're sitting here in this group. You'd look a little bit different. You'd be treated differently because that's just what people do to people that aren't like them. And so he's saying, look, you're an alien in this world now. If you follow me, you're an alien in this world. You don't belong here. You don't fit in. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. And I'm sharing this this morning because I don't want us to be surprised. Like, no, we got to stop this so it never happens. Jesus is saying, look, there's no way to stop this from happening. When you follow me, this will happen. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And I love that last bit of teaching that Jesus gives us. He goes, because they don't know the one who sent me. He's saying it's understandable. They don't know the Heavenly Father. They don't know Him intimately, so they're going to consider you an enemy. They might even think they're doing something good by persecuting and causing you to suffer. Now, Branches is a church. We've modeled ourselves, our, our mentors for church planting are Paul, Silas, and Barnabas. They weren't perfect. It's not the only way to do it, but those are the people that we have modeled ourselves after. Think about that. If you know much about Paul, you know his name used to be Saul, and you know that what he used to do was be the one persecuting those who were following Jesus. Could you go to the next slide, Beth? This was the moment. Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's on his way to to basically murder Christians, to persecute and cause suffering for those that say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And as he's going there, he falls to the ground because he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not just some voice like, hey, Saul, Saul, oh, I'm going to fall to the ground. No, it was the voice of God. And so he knows it's God, and he's like, who are you, Lord? And this is what Jesus said. He says, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Now, Paul has this happen, and then his whole life turns around. All the other believers, they hear that Saul is now a believer. Yeah, right. That's his way to kind of sneak in so he can cause even more pain and suffering in our families and with my uncles and aunts and grandparents. But he doesn't. 
he understands who Jesus really is, and so he turns from his ways. And instead of becoming one that persecutes, he now becomes persecuted. This is what Paul has to say. If you go to the next slide, this is what Paul has to say about what it's like to be a follower of Christ and what we should expect. He says to Timothy, who's, in fact, this was the last letter that we know of that he wrote, last one that we have. So in the scriptures, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it to his, um, well, his protege, his apprentice, Timothy. He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Will. It's going to happen. For me, when I hear these, I've become frustrated before. Like, okay, am I not living a radical enough life? Do I have to become a weirdo? Because I'm not really dealing with any persecution. Every once in a while, I'll not get invited to something, or someone will like go, oh, that guy makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm living this life, and I don't want to be around them and feel bad. Even though I don't say anything, they're like, oh, I know what he thinks, so I don't want to be around him. Or you have a certain neighbor that's like, oh, you're a churchy person. And they, you know, that's not very bad, is it? So I'm like, well, do I need to do more? What do I need to do so that I could be on the edge of life or death? That's not what God is calling us to. When he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, again, we're talking about the church. And we have brothers and sisters who are suffering and dealing with this because imagine yourself, you're in a car. And this has happened, unfortunately, to some of you, where you've driven and somebody hits you. And wherever you were in the car, for some reason, you didn't get hurt. But in that car, someone else did. And it's sometimes in a plane or a bus or a car, there's someone that dies. And then you have those who are still living and they live with this guilt. Like, why wasn't it me? Shouldn't it be me? No, that's not how it works. Trust me, there's good news coming. But the reality is this is part of life. If we go to some more uh, New Testament scriptures, this one, however, though, is... We're going to start going a new different direction with persecution and suffering. Jesus, Paul, Peter, all of them said, look, if you're following Christ, you can expect this is going to happen. However, persecution and suffering has a purpose. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? As I'm even saying it, I feel like I can't say it. Because I don't live in Syria or Egypt or China or Colombia. I don't but I want you to hear from them. And so there's a few things I'm going to read to you, but I want us to hear from Jesus. You might recognize this, especially when you see the word blessed. It's from the Beatitudes. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says this. And as we talked about before when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, blessed means that you are fortunate. Okay, that word blessed, like we throw it around. We know it's like a churchy word, but we really don't know what it means. That word means you are fortunate. Like if you won the lottery, oh, blessed. Or if you came home and the Chargers actually won, oh, fortunate are you. Like blessed. So here we are. Blessed, fortunate are you to be considered lucky, to be looked up upon when people insult you. You ever heard that one before? Oh, you got bullied at school? Way to go. You're never going to hear that, are you? But for Christ... Jesus is saying you are fortunate. You are fortunate when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not just because, oh, you went through suffering. That's fantastic. No, if you're going through suffering because of Christ, 
then you're blessed. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's look at, the, look at what someone else has to say about this. So this was uh, an Egyptian Christian. We talked about what the Coptic Christians had to deal with. And he was asked, okay, so you, you read this scripture, you hear what Jesus and other people say about you being blessed and fortunate. Is it true? And this is what he said. He said, in great suffering, you discover a different Jesus than you do in normal life. Pain and suffering bring up to the surface all the weak points of your personality. In my weakest state, I had an incredible realization that Jesus loved me even right then. This is um, Brother Yoon. This is actually his real name, Yoon. Brother was not his first name, but because he was a believer, uh, they call him brother because that's what a church is. You do realize that, right? We're brothers and sisters. Um, and he actually was here recently, Josh um, Duck Dynasty and I were talking, and we were talking about him meeting Brother Yoon because he came and spoke, and they led worship when he was here in town. I missed it. I didn't even know he was here. My, my fellow pastors told me afterwards, I'm like, oh, really? We're going to talk about that one. But he came, and he dealt with immense suffering in China. We talked about it, uh, I think, last year, maybe even two years ago. Um, but this is what he said, because the church in China is so persecuted. Things are actually opening up now in amazing ways. But when he was there, it was life or death, and he was tortured and imprisoned. And, um, and so people will now contact him. Uh, he has to live in asylum now. Uh, the church there said, look, you have to go. You have to go now. Um, so they sent him out, and he, this is what he had to say about, about suffering and about persecution. He said, the first time I went to prison... I struggled, wondering why God had allowed it. Slowly I began to understand he had a deeper purpose for me than just working for him. Here's the purpose we were talking about. He wanted to know me and I to know him deeply and intimately. He knew the best way to get my attention for a while was to give me rest behind bars. And then he goes on to say this. He says, before a chicken is hatched, it is vital it is kept in the warm protection of the shell for 21 days. Didn't know that, did you? I'm assuming not too many of you have your chicken coops, but if you did, um, the chicken needs to stay in the egg for 21 days. If you take the chick out of that environment one day too early, it will die. Similarly, ducks need to remain confined in their shell for 28 days before they are hatched. If you take a duck out on the 27th day, it will die. He says, there's always a purpose behind why God allows his children to go to prison. Perhaps it's so they can witness to the other prisoners, or perhaps God wants to develop more character in their lives. But if we use our own efforts to get them out of prison earlier than God intended, we can thwart his plans, and the believers may come out not as fully formed as God wanted them to be. So he says this. He says, whenever I hear a house church Christian has been imprisoned for Christ in China, I don't advise people to pray for his or her release. Let me read that to you one more time. This is Brother Yoon. Whenever I hear a house church Christian has been imprisoned for Christ in China, I don't advise people to pray for his or her release unless 
the Lord clearly reveals we should pray this way. I can't say that, but he can say that because he was in and out of prison, on the verge of death several times. And he's really only saying something that we've already heard from Paul in Romans. We could go to that. This is what Paul says, again, who was also persecuted and suffered for his faith. He says this. He says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I don't want us to misinterpret what I'm saying this morning. What I'm trying to say is that we have brothers and sisters that are suffering and that Jesus and the apostles made it very clear that this would happen and it has to happen and it's going to happen. And there is a purpose for it. I have a hard time even saying that, but I'm trusting Christ and I'm trusting, I'm trusting Brother Yoon and I'm trusting our Egyptian brothers and sisters and I'm trusting Paul. I've seen it in small ways in my own life how I've grown through the little bit of persecution and suffering I've gone through. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. That doesn't mean that we just stand back and go, wow, this is good, congratulations. No, that's not what we do. Hebrews 13.3 says that we need to pretend as such that we are the ones suffering. Does it say the word pretend? No, because we are suffering because they're our brothers and sisters. Two of my heroes are Martin Luther King and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I just realized this week, because I didn't connect the two of them, but both of them fought for those in persecution and suffering. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. My friend, who's a pastor in the area, Brother Andrew, calls him twice a week. I'm like, he just calls? He goes, yeah, he gets like this amazing deal with his phone, so he, he just calls. And I go, what does he call for? He goes, he just wants to make sure he's not alone. In fact, he calls and he goes, hello, brother. Okay, I'm not going to try the accent because I don't know what his accent sounds like. <laughs> he says, brother, I just need to hear your voice. I just need to know we're not alone. In the video that they made, it just says pray. They just, need, they just want to know they're not alone. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard me quote him Tons of times, just like MLK. What, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a part of was he was a German pastor, um, and it was illegal to be, to be a church that wasn't connected to the Nazis. So the German church got absorbed. There were a lot of people that said, fine, we'll join with the Nazis. And there were several like, well, are you guys kidding us? We can't do this. And so they separated and went on, the, on their own. And so they had to have churches, and they'd have to be secretive about it. In fact, he ran a... Um, a seminary that was secretive. They had like 25 students or so. And the book, my favorite, The Cost of Discipleship, or some have renamed it Discipleship, is basically the material that he was teaching them. And at any moment, imagine us in this room, there's only 20, 25 of us, and the doors are closed, and those two doors, they don't have any windows. They knew that at any moment, the Nazis could bust in and arrest them and take them to a concentration camp because they were following Christ and not the Nazis. So he ended up fighting for his Jewish brothers and sisters 
who were systematically being eliminated. He was caring for the families. This is what he said about that. He said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. And not to act is to act. So we have to do something. It will never feel like enough. It doesn't matter. We do something. So, and I had read this before in a book, and I wanted to to share it with you this morning. Because there is a precedence for this. We just talked about the Jews. They also were persecuted for their faith. If you see those who are being silenced, you need to speak up for those that can't speak. So there was a German Christian who wrote down his experience. And they had a church that was right, um, right next to the train tracks. And they were near a concentration camp. And so on Sunday mornings, they knew the time that the train would come by with the Jews to go to the concentration camp. And um, he said, he said their screams tormented us. But what could anyone do to stop it? They'd given up. And this is what he said in his book. He said, we knew the time the train was coming. And when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing intervene we can do something about it on the website um, branchesoc.com we just put a bunch of things that you can do there are organizations there are churches there are people that are doing things and I know what are you supposed to do you're like who do I talk to I don't know anybody do I have to just get on a plane and go find someone that's being persecuted no we have people that are already out there that are on the front lines that can connect us, that can make sure that they know they're not alone, that there are people speaking for them. This is what they ask us to do. And you may feel like it's not enough, but this is what they want you to do above all else. They want you to actually pray. Not talk about praying, not think about praying, not saying you would pray, but actually pray. To set a time, to set time aside and pray. Pray for a specific country. You've got the internet. Trust me, it's all out there. You can find all of this as it happens, and you can be praying for specific leaders and people and those in suffering. Like I told you, our friend Brother Andrew said, look, just pray for us. Please pray for us. Um, You can also help them. You can help, like we have our, we have the writing. It's one thing to say you're praying, but when they get that letter and they see it, like there's someone that knows we're going through this. So our children are writing to to prisoners and to especially people that are suffering, who have had people in their family who've been taken away from them, either imprisoned or killed. And they're writing to them to let them know, we will not forget you. We will pray for you. Another thing you can do is you can go and visit. You can go and connect with churches in Egypt and in China. It's not that hard. And you may be scared out of your mind to do it, but you can do it. 
Another thing that we can do as a church, we do this several times a year. We do it when we feel like the Lord has really put it on our heart. And this is one of those Sundays. I went and I emailed and texted the rest of the leadership team, and uh, it was unanimous. They just said, yeah, we've got to do this. We take the entire offering. So the entire offering that's given this morning is going to go to help our friend, Brother Andrew. Because there are widows, there are people still in the hospital from that who are still trying to work through their injuries, and they don't have, they don't have any resources. And my friend who's a pastor said he was on the ground watching Brother Andrew. Um, by the way, no one there calls him Brother Andrew, but that's his code name. And he's on the streets, and he's the one just lining up with the people that he knows that are part of all these different churches, and he's connecting with them, and he knows who's who, and they just take care of them. Oh, this is, this is for the hospital. This is for the funeral. This is to rebuild your house. This is to do this. All the different things that are happening with the suffering, and it's happening all over. And I'm just talking about Peshawar, Pakistan. So you can do something. It doesn't have to stop there. For some reason, you want to start giving monthly. We trust this person. You know how you give to an organization, you never know what really happens, and you're always kind of nervous? I can guarantee you this will go to help an actual person that was in that bombing. This will go to help them. There's a school that they built. They actually built the school prior to this happening. But they built a school so that these kids who are being persecuted, they have a place they can go and be educated. Because if you're a Christian, you can't be in school. If you follow Christ, you can't get an education. The poor are the Christians. So we can do something. There's a huge list of things. But the important thing to me is that we can know that we weren't silent. And it's never going to be enough. I understand how this works. But I want to make sure that we remember this. In the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this persecution, I want us to hear the words of Peter. Peter saw Christ die. He saw many other believers die. He was the leader of the, the early church. And this is what he said. This was his advice. As he was speaking, writing this letter of 1 Peter, he wrote it to a persecuted church. And this is what he told. This is probably what he would have written to Brother Andrew and his church. And he would have said, read this to everybody. 1 Peter 5.8, he says this. Most importantly, be disciplined and stay on guard. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around outside like a roaring lion, just waiting and hoping for the chance to devour someone. Resist him and be strong in your faith, knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are fellow sufferers with you. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his everlasting presence, through Jesus the anointed, will restore you, support you, strengthen you, and ground you. And this is what I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. For all power belongs to God, now and forever. If you don't know this, if you haven't read the end of the book, God wins. I don't know why he allows this. I know there's a purpose for it. But we need to know with unwavering faith that Christ has got this. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be scared. You need to live in hope, not silent hope. We need to stick up. We need to be loud. We need to be active with our brothers and sisters around the world, whether it be that the persecutor is suffering because of their faith or whether it be that they're so destitutely poor that we have to care for them. We have to stick up for our brothers and sisters. And those who are outside of our faith, we need to stick up for them and care for them. But above all, remember, Christ won it on the cross.
he will return, and he will return in glory, and he will set all things right. I want to invite the worship team up. We um, are going to take communion together. And in communion, um, Jesus says this. He says when we practice this discipline, that we do it in remembrance of him. And remember that Jesus also said, um, when he had the bread, he, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you, you all, all of you. Uh, he goes on to say that this is my blood, which was shed for you. As we take communion this morning, we remember him. And by remembering our brothers and sisters who are suffering, and we're going to take this time to pray for them, we remember him. So we'll have two songs um, uh, for prayer. The, those who are serving communion in the front and the back, if you guys could get in position. And then after those two songs, the offering baskets will come, and um, those will go to help Brother Andrew and their work to care for those in the bombing in Pakistan. So could you please stand with me for prayer? Father, we, we look to you. Um, I love what uh, the original Martin Luther said. When faced with um, knowing what was the right thing to do and he chose to do it, he said, I will not and I cannot recant. Here I stand. So, Father, here we stand in this communion time as we remember the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, we want to remember our brothers and sisters who are also sacrificing for you. And we ask, Father, that you would give us direction. Is there anything more we can do other than finances or prayer, Lord? And that you would keep it in our minds and our hearts. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.
chorus together again. What can wash away our sins? What can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Why don't you guys stand as we sing this song, worship? My hope is built. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil sing that again when darkness seems to hide his face when darkness seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high Stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone is the 
Oh 